Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. It's Wednesday, October 7th. Since it's still World Space Week, here's the fun fact I'll hit you with. 12 years ago today was the first time an asteroid impact was detected prior to its entry into Earth's atmosphere. 2008, October 7th. It was named the 2008 TC3. It weighed 80 tons. And in doing this research, I actually realized there's the long ton and the short ton. Right? You guys can dig into that later. Go look that up. But it was only 4.1 meters in diameter. So that's 13 feet. It weighed did, 90 American tons. That's the difference. I was going to say metric versus American. That's why I was yeah. wondering. We shoot is, it with is lasers? That, is that the difference? It's a what, standard unit versus metric unit. Is that the long and short? I wasn't familiar yeah, with long and short. Yeah, that's exactly cool. right. Standard Standard is, uh, I think, 2,024 pounds or something versus metric. So the U.S. being 2,000 pounds. That's the difference between long and, and short. But anyway, hmm. uh, it was only 13 feet in diameter, which seems wild. To I mean, that's pretty dense, right? That's extremely uh, yeah. dense. <laughs> yeah. 80 did, did tons, they, 90 tons. Did they also provide that in like paperclip weight or relative elephants or something? Bananas <laughs> mm, <laughs> for scale. Yeah. Well, so to answer your question, Russ, no, we did not shoot it with lasers. Unsatisfyingly. <laughs> we should uh, have. It exploded. Yeah, we should have. It would have been cool. It exploded. <laughs> Actually, that gave me an interesting <laughs> idea. So, but it exploded at an estimated 37 kilometers or 23 miles above the Nubian desert in Sudan. But I was imagining when you said that, imagine there was a kid with a laser pointer and he's like watching this thing come down and he like shoots the laser pointer. <laughs> and it Technically counts. It counts. <laughs> it counts. Yeah. So uh, roughly, I hope that that happened. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I would love to hear stories of people that have done things like that. That clearly it wasn't them, but the it totally was. Playing with a laser and it blew up. Yeah. So the it, sky it, is on fire, and I did it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, roughly 600 meteorites, weighing a total. So th- we only recovered about 23 pounds, 10 and a half kilograms worth of meteorites. Wow. It's a powerful laser. Yeah, <laughs> many of them belong to a rare type known as uralites, which contain, among other minerals, nano diamonds. So, hang with me here. Uh, nano diamonds or okay. diamond nanoparticles are diamonds sure. with a size below one micrometer. That's they can be tiny. produced by impact events. Yeah, very, very tiny. So, they can be so produced. I gotta assume then yeah. that a diamond is just defined by a certain lattice of carbon. Like, like there must be a tipping point where it just goes from like having a bunch of carbon to being a diamond. Because at that scale, obviously, you can still see that that lattice work. I, that's it's an interesting metallurgical question, I think, or, or material science question. I, I never considered a diamond that way, but I suppose yeah, it makes so sense. That's actually an interesting question. And if you go to the Wiki, Wiki, bleh, the Wikipedia page on nano diamonds, you can see the classic structure. Uh, of of diamonds compared to this, so, so are they, go check are they it structured out. differently. It looks like it's maybe I'm just looking at it too quickly. But, I would just uh, think, yeah, okay, well, what what I think doesn't matter. I so they're they're talking about <laughs> the classic diamond structure, sure. and then they get into a nitrogen vacancy center, and then it, it goes on and on. So I think you're I think you're onto something there. Is all I'm trying to say. So interesting. Back to back to nano diamonds. So 
The last part of this interesting fun fact before we move into tech news here, um, because of their inexpensive large-scale synthesis, right, because they can be produced through impact events such as an explosion or meteor impact, et cetera, and their potential for surface functionalization, which I need to look up what that actually means and what they mean by that, and their high biocompatibility, nanodiamonds are widely investigated as a potential material in biological and electronic applications and quantum engineering. Whoa. So there you go. Cool. There's your fun fact for today. That is Boom. fun. So I wonder if we also produce nanodiamonds in laboratories or if it has to be naturally occurring. I, it I, seems I'm, I'm feasible. I'm super curious about all of this now. Yeah. So it sounds like, uh, it sounds like we can just create uh, explosions and... And go <laughs> and uh, and use them. We but, just need kids oh. with laser pointers, and we can have as many of these as we want. <laughs> and extinction yes. events. Keep it up, kids. So it, it's actually super interesting. So go get go dig into the Wikipedia article. It gets into all kinds of like uh, you know micro abrasive uh, uses, right? Because we know diamonds that are makes lots of sense. Uh, very very hard, right? On the what's that scale? Oh, we, man. Were same, Why, we were in the same. We were in the same class I can, when I learned what that was. It's a hardness scale. It's uh, yeah. and there are a couple of them too. But the one you're thinking of, and I can't. It's think the hardness it. scale, but I can't remember what it's actually called. Maybe I know. Just, no, I can't either. It doesn't start with a B. Maybe, but it's not. I'm thinking of bricks, but I know it's not bricks. That's someone uh, on Twitter will tell us. Well, yeah. let's move on. Uh, but it gets <sighs> into all kinds of other things: drug delivery, right? Uh, skincare, yeah. surgery, blood testing. All kinds of electronics and sensors, optical computing. It, it's it's pretty crazy. Go check it out. All right. Let's move on. All right. There's a Mohs hardness scale. I, I can't let that one lie. I got to go look it up. Mohs. I remember Mohs. I think that one's pretty common, but I swear there's a... Someone hit the pause button on Tyler. No. This is going to keep no, going. <laughs> no, Mohs. All right. We're sticking with Mohs. It doesn't start with a B at all. I was way off. Yeah. So is that what it is? Yeah. Mohs. Yeah, Mohs, Mohs hardness yeah, scale. Yeah. You're right. yeah. Boom. Yeah. There you got go. It. Boom. Checked it. Now, now I can sleep uh, tonight. Moving <laughs> on. Thanks for that. Uh, all right. Well, before we jump off these. meteors, apparently, uh, at least in Europe, um, the draconid, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but um, is at peak activity this week, which is super fun for Space Week, too. Oh, the um, meteor shower? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's I wild. Guess it's, I guess it's going to be most active this week. Um most spectacular, quote unquote, according to BBC, on the seventh, which is today mm, and tomorrow. So enjoy that. Oh yeah, wait, it's, oh, uh, what six, seven, and seven, eight October? Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. I guess we're saying at night. So between six, seven. So tonight, watch tonight if you're in an area where you can see that. Yeah, it looks like it says date of the peak is October eight. Anyway. Yeah, it well, it, the way they wrote it was kind of funny. It's spectacular on, and then it just says six slash seven and seven slash eight. So it must be the night mm. between six and seventh, and then seventh and eighth. So that would be tonight would be your last peak night to see it. Awesome. So somebody that's in that part of the world and wants to see that and then tell us about it should totally do that because that'd be cool. I'm not in Europe, uh, so I'm gonna miss yeah. it. And it's right ascension, whatever that means, is 17.467H, if that helps you find it in the sky. So, okay, cool. Let's <laughs> excellent, oh, excellent directions. <laughs> I was talking about this with Gina Minks uh, or Rosenthal, I'm sorry, uh, with Gina last night on Twitter. I think we were talking past each other. She was talking about something and I was making jokes about Elon. Um, but uh, Sounds about right. Mars, yeah. 
Mars is the closest it's going to be uh, right now until 2035. So uh, fun fact, if you want to go out and look at it. Okay, let's move on. That was that was cool, though, the meteor shower thing. Uh, all right. What do we got here? Uh, after years of claiming it doesn't use facial recognition software, the LAPD admits it has used it 30,000 times since 2009. Why lie? Why do this? Uh, and why now? Like, why, why admit it now? What's, what's the deal here? I just don't get it. It's all very confusing to me. It's, it's a bad look. That's all I can really say about it. It's just it's a really bad look. We, we don't use this, yeah, guys, except for the 30,000 times that we've done it in the last decade. Oh, <laughs> How did we get here? Why? I want to know. Someone tell me right now. Uh, Los Angeles that's, Police Department love using facial recognition technology. That's that's not just a few times either. That's that's like somebody fell asleep on the button that just yeah. No one accidentally like, hit this button. You don't like, accidentally <laughs> do something thirty thousand times. Like that's a total dick move. <laughs> I just I just someone feel dirty. Made I feel a dirty reading on this. It. Someone made a comment on this. It was good. It was like a system cannot fail those it was never built to protect. So that's true. <laughs> 30,000 times true um, in this oh particular my. instance. All right. Uh, I, I don't understand remember- that. I, I don't understand the sentiment that leads to that. I mean, I do. I understand that someone somewhere, or in this case, probably lots of someone's in places, were thinking this is going to increase security and make people safer, and it's good for the societal benefit side of, of this stuff. But you'd think by now we would have learned some lessons about transparency when it comes to the tools you're using to make sure people are safe. Because if it's not a crap show, I feel like people tend to embrace it. When it's total garbage, it gets backlash rightfully so. So the only reason to hide something like that is because you think the public is going to know it's garbage and attack you for it. Maybe I'm wrong there, but man, that just... I. So uh, it's really worth pointing this out because I wanted to look in the article and see if it was just like they've taken 30,000 photos. Because if you think about that in LA, that's like one day of facial Mm -hmm. recognition software. Sure. That is not the case. This explicitly states that they they have used facial recognition software nearly 30,000 times. So if anyone's wondering about that same thing that I was, it's it's an order of magnitude amount (sighs) of uh, times that this is That's. And, and those of you that aren't in the United States, you probably know this night now because I think it comes up a lot, but we're rather protective of, or at least we pretend to be, that's a long poll conversation perhaps, but um, of, of the idea of privacy and law enforcement not being able to look behind the curtain, if you will, without probable cause. So things like Big Brother States and Always Watching they don't tend to go over well because sort of our fundamental legal system says that that's not okay because of our constitution. It's you're not that this is why it's such a bristly topic. It's not necessarily that that wasn't going to be good for LA. It's that it's very much against how we were built as a country and what we built precedent on the legal system. So it's just sketchy. 
Yeah. And if you're wondering, well, don't you use like Android and Google phones? Yes, we do. In the commercial sense, we apparently think it's fine. But when it comes to legal <laughs> oh, entities, it's a big no-no. Voluntary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's it's who's watching some, the watcher sort of problems. Yeah. And there's some interesting comments in the article here from uh, techdirt.com. But it says, when a citizen misleads a cop, it's obstruction. When a cop misleads the public, it's just an honest mistake. Yeah. And then it goes on. It says, but the reality of the situation no is this. Yeah, more than 300 officers have access to the database, which contains 9 million photos. If you wow. scroll up a little bit, because uh, I was trying to figure out how it was discovered, right? And then somebody's saying here, there's some technically true stuff in the LAPD's obfuscation, right? So their statements. Uh, mm -hmm. The LAPD does not have its, quote, own software. This makes it easier to claim it does not use the tech, quote, <laughs> in the department. But the department uh, definitely uses the tech. They have direct sad. access to the software owned by the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Yeah, that's not going to work. Ooh, that's tough. That's really tough to read right there. Trust. <sighs> We're trying to build trust. Okay. It's working. Okay. Are We're doing we? Great. Be honest. Are let's we? Just be honest. Okay. So let's move on. Uh, let's move on maybe to some, uh, what we, we covered this previously, uh, but the news today is that the house Democrats say Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, Apple enjoy quote monopoly power and recommend big changes. This was, uh, in a CNBC article, I guess there was a house, a house judiciary committee that was put together. They produced a 449 page document after going through 1.3 million documents Wow. Through this investigation, that seems so wild. It's worth it's worth pointing out something. Uh, they asked for documents from. I actually was going through this earlier this morning. Ironically, I did not look this up for the show. They asked for documents from all of the different whatever you want to call them providers, companies, etc. And you got they got forty thousand or so from I think it was one company, Amazon or something. Fifty thousand from another one. Uh, they got 1.3 million from Google Alphabet alone, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Apple provided 2,000. So it's a very what? dramatic difference. Holy so when cow. you said they did 1.3 million, it's worth pointing out that the other three entities are lost in the shuffle of Google wow. alone, right there. Wow! Uh, and they made a comment yeah. about how the that we should not be mistaking their quantity for quality submission no of course so, not there that's probably sure. it was very drown them in very drown, drown them in what they asked for right oh yeah that's absolutely right. yeah. all of it and more it's one of those so, situations where it's like if they find it then they deserve to, <laughs> to bring the hammer down on them and then that's google's approach here oh, i'm pretty man. sure it's awful yikes um, yeah let's hope okay. it wasn't that nefarious but ah, it is what it is yeah. So the uh, the 449 page report goes on, but it can be summed up. There was a good CNBC article on it. Uh, recommendations from the uh, the committee included. I mean, if you boil it down to basically imposing structural separations, right, and pro prohibiting dominant platforms from entering adjacent lines of business, which, ugh. I mean, that can get, you know, Man, yeah, I'm them trying to on go that after. One. We've, we've talked yeah. about that before. Like there's, I get it. I'm, I'm always going to take the stance that I understand where antitrust comes from, but I don't want to rob the value of a platform that's actually doing a good job of integrating across businesses, right? Like just because Google yeah. has another product doesn't mean I don't want to see it play better with uh, Android. I don't want to see it boxing out uh, you know, other systems. I want things like 
Amazon's video stuff to continue to work on that, then that's where I think barriers are appropriate, you know, to barriers to preventing them from trying to play those games. But I, I want Google and Amazon and Apple to do a good job of horizontally integrating their services. I would like to see protections in place if necessary, which I guess is what they're arguing needs to be there, but don't stop them from horizontally integrating unless I'm missing something and there's a better way to do this. Well, I I think it's important to understand that this is, so there's, there's a hatred of, of monopoly that, that is sort of embedded in the American culture, right? And we were largely founded on that. And it's, there's a quote that I saw also earlier today from an update email that I received from, uh, I think it's Ben Thompson, who, who I mentioned, I, I pay for some of his uh, analysis. And he pointed out something that the hatred of monopoly is one of the oldest American political habits and mo- and likely the most profound traditions. Uh, it consisted of an essentially permanent idea that is expressed differently at different times. And I think that it sort of boils down to this notion of, once again, we have laws around monopolistic behavior and antitrust that were founded on the basis of how the railroad behaved and how oil behaved. And it's it kind of comes down to this antitrust versus just doing business. And a lot of this feels like you know, they're begging the question of saying they they know the end result. They're saying to themselves, like, we know these companies are bad. Let's go figure out why. As opposed to seeing right. actual they bad behavior, it, yeah, yeah they, they just they just feel, they feel it, it and it they know gut. and they're going to yes. go get it. So I think that it kind of comes down to this yeah. anti-monopoly versus antitrust, and and what is truly anti-competitive behavior versus antitrust, and yeah. and I, anti-competitive is is maybe not necessarily problematic overall. It's yeah. the antitrust stuff we're looking for, but I think a lot of it gets confused here, and that's it, the the issue yeah. at hand. I think you're right. And the second bullet point here that they sum up goes right to that. And it, it's, these are, these are such dangerous things I mean, in my mind, right? I'm just one person, but uh, the next bullet point here says instructing antitrust agencies to presume mergers by dominant platforms to be anti-competitive. So any sort of uh, action from these players is automatically assumed guilty until proven innocent. There's a flip on that, right? So they're shifting the burden onto the merging parties to prove that their deal would not harm competition rather than making the enforcers approve, sorry, prove that it would, right? That's different. And then it gets into uh, preventing dominant platforms from preferencing their own services, which that one really rubbed me the wrong way, right? Making say that one more time because you cut out for a minute. I feel like you were making a point. There's just like I'm one sorry. second we lost you for a moment. You said, and yeah, then it went on to say, yeah, I went on to say, so preventing dominant platforms from preferencing their own services. Yeah. Right? So they they produce something and they want to offer services to their customers. They are not allowed to preference the their services that they offer. They have to make it open to services that, does, that has nothing to do with them. I, I really struggle with that one. I, I, I see I see both sides of it. Um, because it just becomes it becomes this issue of if you if for whatever reason let's just pretend twenty years from now there is only one store and that store happens to also come from someone who creates products and they yeah. favor all of their own products then 
functionally, none of these yep. other businesses will be able to survive. But it also... And I've, I've talked to people about this before. They're like, well, no one's going to have jobs in 20 years and we need the universal basic income. And, and maybe that's true at some point in time. But I point out that if Amazon, for instance, was the only company that existed 50 years from now, then they would also die because no one would have the ability to buy from them. So the economy will balance itself out, I feel like, in some instance where there will have to be opportunity for people to obviously have jobs and other companies to exist and compete in different areas. Otherwise, no company will exist because you can't exist in a world of one company. It's just not a thing, at least not with the way society works today. Sure. Agreed. And I mean, look at this next bullet point, right? Give me your thoughts on this. And just as, as a... As somebody in product management, this just, again, rubs me the wrong way, but requiring dominant firms to make their services compatible with competitors. You, you blipped out again there, guys. You did again what, at the that? very yeah. beginning of that statement. Sorry. Yep. Requiring dominant firms to make their services compatible with competitors. Ooh, that one's interesting because that puts yeah. a development burden on to, to that. I, I yes. tend to think that the first I guess I would be interested as big of a their... Like yeah, the idea, the idea of not putting preference into your systems that that leaves things open and and more competitive, which I think is good for consumers, which is kind of the whole point of any of this antitrust stuff, right? But is, requiring compatibility with your competitors—that's that—that's a bit far, in my opinion, because I, I think it it just depends on what it is. It, to some it does, yeah. Because, like, for instance, what if I don't know? What if Windows was not compatible? With from the from day one, not compatible with anything else out there. Like we wouldn't have, I don't know, certain things. What if NASA? They did all their research, but only their research. Their research could only be used for its explicit purpose. They started the research right. for. Like I, I don't know. There's something about completely being having the ability to have a platform that it has such a far reach that you can also block everyone else out from what if the internet was that way i, I don't know that's that's where i i think it depends on what God, the man, scenario seems, is so i wish i understood their context of like yeah, where where or, their or comment came from where that gets applied like how do you apply that yeah uh, well, that's my uh, problem it's very vague it's, that's and so maybe broad. as somebody who's just naturally very competitive i like this stuff just Anyway, whatever. That's my opinion. It'll be interesting to see because they are going after people. And don't be wrong. Google is number one that they're going to be going after as it relates to the majority of this stuff. And so I think it's just going to be very interesting to see how they do go about applying some of these things. And, and, And here's the reality. This isn't going to... I do not believe this is going to shake out as a application of existing rule and law. I believe the more likely outcome of this is the creation of new rule in law uh, because or, or adaptation of existing rule in law. Because I just don't know. And I think that's the problem is, is that all of these companies are acting within the confines they're given. They're all playing by the rules that exist today, at least for the most part. We would make that assumption, right? No nefarious you know, assumptions here. And so it is a situation of, are those now appropriate for this day and age? And and I think that's where we're going to see these where this is going to shake out, and it's it's going to be huge. It's going to be a big, big sort of decision that has to kind of come down here from these hearings and everything that are that are being worked on right now. Okay. All right, I'm going to cool my jets for a bit. What else? What do y'all got? What are you looking at? 
Uh, I'm going to skip over the Google and Oracle thing. They're, you know, they've been going at each other for a decade now, and they st- they still are. So just know that that's happening. Um, there is something. In fact, uh, our senior VR correspondent or XR correspondent Daniel sent me this earlier today uh, about some issues is this where. Treadmill? This is not the treadmill, although I did. Oh man, I just see. saw that and almost laughed. This was actually about the uh, NVIDIA cards that no one can buy. Um, like, there's a whole host oh, yeah. of my friends right now. We're oh, all trying to buy huh. RTX 3080s. No one will take our money because they don't have any product. Wow. And apparently, and it looked as though this looked really bad at first. Um, and so I'll, I'll kind of present it that way. It looked as though MSI was taking their own produced cards and selling them on eBay as scalpers. Oh, what? Oh, that's dirty. So what it ended up being, and it's, uh, it's honestly, it's, it's not much better, to be honest. Um, but it ended up being that there is a sales subsidiary of MSI's program that was taking those cards, basically had access to cards they should not have had access to. Normally, it's supposed to be like older cards, refurbed, stuff like that, that they, they I guess, are responsible for. They apparently had access to brand new RTX 3080s, and they were the ones who were taking and doing this. And oh. so it looked really bad because people realized, they looked at like the seller information, they're like, this is... These, this is MSI. Like this is them doing. They're inflating their own costs. MSI actually stepped in and made them, uh, I guess, give refunds back to the MSRP level. Um, anything over MSRP, they made them give refunds back to to anything they sold on uh, eBay or they were going to be an MSI for that. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if product launches were like that, where the first like thousand went to the highest bidder? I. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's funny because I thought I thought of it that way Sounds for a great moment. For I was like, I was like, man, that, that would be way. <laughs> I would be less mad about that than I am of scalpers. The, the right, whole scalping right. situation drives me. Well, that's what I was going to say. That often this happens like, anyway because people buy them and then they and then they turn around and sell it to the highest bidder. Yeah, that's yep. true. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I absolutely I, detest. If them. you're going to do that, just raise the price. That's that's it. You you don't have enough supply. There's more demand. Just increase the price. It it will make people a little unhappy, but if they're willing to pay for it, they'll pay for it. Don't go and scalp them pretending like it. No, that's, I'm, that just makes me mad. And I yep. obviously didn't buy one of them. It is infuriating. It is. That's terrible. We, we do have people taking some interesting measures though. So like EVGA, uh, because you know, they, all these companies, they can't get supply. They're all running into the same problem. EVGA has a really creative way of handling this. What they're doing is that you can set up to do, you know, the auto notification for when stuff is in stock. Obviously, that um, doesn't work very well in the world of bots, where bots end up buying everything. So they are actually sending out in a queue system a notification that the card you've signed up for is in stock, and you have a five-hour window to buy it. And if you don't, it moves on to the next person. And so That's critical. It's, I, I think it's a genius way of handling the situation. You know, I went and signed up for the card that I'm looking at, and hopefully in the next couple months... Um, you know, I'll get a message and and I'll catch it hopefully within that five hour window and then be able to go get it. I, I just think that it's a really good way. They don't do pre-orders for this type of stuff. I, I don't know why, but if you're not going to do the typical pre-order where you can just sort of give your money and then wait and it arrives when it arrives, this queue system is kind of the next best thing. So I, I applaud others for getting creative in the way they're trying to service the community sure. as opposed to just sitting and hitting F5 over and over and over again <laughs> on trying to find the card, which is just a, a no-win scenario. Yeah, yeah, that's brutal. 
Okay, let's uh, let's move to the LG Wing. I don't know if y'all have seen this, but uh, the article that caught my eye, AndroidCentral.com, says LG Wing review swing and a miss. So uh, <laughs> the main thing, <laughs> the main thing to uh, to notice is uh, it just looks goofy as I'll get out. But if you can imagine laying two phones uh, face up on top of each other, uh, they're sitting vertically. Oh, you rotate awful. the top phone. So it basically looks like a T. So you have a horizontal screen up top and then half of a vertical oh, phone below. That's, that's the wing. That's, uh, apparently it's, uh, mm. it's overly big, heavy, and cumbersome <laughs> is kind of what the article gets into. I, and they're like, why? Why, why would why yeah man that's it right there why why did you do that to yourself why did I think, you take that concept I I know all why. the way to production i really do think i know why and and the reason we, we've kind of gone through iterations of this in the past not not the specific design although we have like the sidekick was one back in the day <laughs> but i remember that we i think it's because phones have gotten boring i mean if you look at yeah. every market segment you know from That's, like a hundred dollars to fifteen hundred dollars is covered by like four different phones and they all have these very very small variances of each other even even from terrible. ios to android they're not that much different so people are just trying to get creative now. We have folding phones. That's, now we have no, these flipping phones. That's and, not how product development works, though. You don't you don't <laughs> take an idea all the way to mass production and then find out there's not a freaking market for in different. in the commodity <laughs> cell phone market. You absolutely. Oh God, that's this. Awful. Ha- this happens, man. I'm telling you, it's, you've had these curved screen <sighs> designs. You have to move too fast. All sorts of stuff. I'm it's telling more you. More sense of TVs. TVs, it's like you can't. Last year's so, amazing TV is marginally less awesome than this year's TV. But yeah, but this is this is what's going to happen. Like, this is just crazy. This is what's going to happen because it happens all the time. There's going to be like, for instance, Android had some feature like 15 years before Apple was a company, and right. and it, and it <laughs> tried this thing, and like four other companies tried it, and they all did it, and it was all stupid when they did it. Yep. Within three years, Apple is going to release an Apple Wing. And they're going to do so, and it is going to be the most popular form factor of phones for the next decade. And every and and no one's going to know that LG did it first. Like that's what's going to happen. And so all of these ideas that Android phone manufacturers throw out there, I'm telling you, you heard it here first. This is why you come to the Tech Breakfast podcast in the afternoon is to is to be able to get these hot takes, and that's what's going to happen. I'm telling what, you, what LG you Wing did it first. It's going to be Apple next. And our listeners, if you're wrong in the next half decade, that that the, right. the wing doesn't take off. No, I, I hear what you're saying, and you're probably right. Like the sheer com- uh, or uh, competitive nature of the commodity market, like that, it you don't have time to really figure out if it's going to be amazing. You take some early tests, determine whether or not you think it's novel enough to capture people's attention, and then give it a shot. I don't know, though. Well, so let's close the wing with this thought. Will there be an LG Wing 2 next year? (laughs) They're probably already producing it. I'm going to (laughs) say, I'm I'm going to go with yes. Uh, It'll be a different know, name. You know, the funny It'll thing be- is, like, it's getting poo pooed on. It's not going to be the most popular phone. It's probably going to sell millions. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, millions so, of these will be purchased. It will just not. I bet it outsells the Pixel to an line. iPhone and a Samsung. You know? I bet it outsells the Pixel line. Yeah. Just saying. Jeez. Oh, that's, that's and the successful ones are, have, like, have tens of millions, hundreds of millions of sales, right? 
It's funny. Yeah. I was flipping through. So I'm in this really old uh, place right now. It was built in the fifties. Uh, I ran across some, uh, some magazines called scientific American from Love the mid 1977s. So I was oh, cool. at some of the, uh, yeah, some of the adverts in it. Sure. And, uh, one of them was a Minolta camera that, uh, was so proud of the fact that 3 million users globally, um, had like had the camera. And I was like, 3 that's million, awesome. that's it. You know, it <laughs> was probably like the total addressable market for cameras that nice, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Probably. that's awesome. That's that, that was All probably right. a really cool magazine to look at too. Cause scientific American always had a good bit of futurology in it as well. So the predictions yeah. obviously that were misses and hits are probably pretty cool to look at in that. You'll have to have to read through well, it and I, down. Yeah. So I tweeted, uh, these two, um, advertisements that were about like 20 pages apart in this one, um, in this one, uh, not an episode. What do you call it? One print. Yeah. I think it was the July or whatever. Anyway, uh, it was this, the Sony, uh, cassette, uh, it was like mobile boombox kind of deal, right? Yes. Just like very, awesome. very quaint. $400. Holy 20 pages, cow. Yeah. 20 pages later was, uh, was this car built by Dodge for $3,000. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. That yeah, yeah. is a really interesting perspective there too. Gosh, that's yeah, neat. A, a cassette player for four hundred dollars and a car for three thousand. It's kind of kind of Dang. interesting. Uh, all right, there's so your, let's move on. Uh, there is a bit of other. <laughs> We've been yeah, doing it forever. There is a bit of other <laughs> mobile uh, device. Uh, news here. The Apple iPhone event was announced this week. It'll happen on October thirteenth. That is Tuesday of next week. Let me guess. Product name, new number. Yeah, yeah. iPhone 12, right? Oh, God. I was was hoping I was wrong. (laughs) No, no, no. You're right. Aaron straight up didn't care about your point there. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, iPhone 12. (laughs) (laughs) Xbox 3. At least it's not the Xbox X1S. X no, no, it's a that's series. Just, that's X, brilliant marketing right there. They sold tons of older consoles. Tons of old consoles. Yeah. No <laughs> refunds there, I bet. Okay, right. what else do we have? Uh, Russ, I'll talk about the, um, uh, what is it? The Virtuix Omni One. What, what is that? Uh, yeah, so Omni. it is It is an Omni treadmill. So yes, omnidirectional cool. treadmill. Think of uh, Blank Check from the 90s. Uh, that's uh, a movie yeah. that featured one of these in kind of the early days of VR. It's a phenomenal movie. A uh, kid gets a million dollars, and apparently he can buy anything in the world, including multi-million dollar homes, but we won't go into the details there. <laughs> um, yeah, I believe the, it as a kid. I bought hey, it. Straight I up. Bought it, was, it was a great movie love, as a kid. I love that I they decided a million dollars was the right number at that point in time to like <laughs> yeah. totally just pass the sniff test for every child listener, right? But, Absolutely. But that, but that they threw child. in like $14 million houses. No, look, I, like, I remember yeah, that movie. And a million dollars was an infinite sum of money. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like it, it had no limit. It's just funny now looking back. It's like, oh wow, yeah, yeah no, that doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> and, well, so the thing is, is with this, the idea of this, it's look. I actually love the idea of it. I, I hope we figure this out yeah. one day. And I don't know if if this will be the thing. But the idea here is, is we we talk about room scale VR all the time. It's like, can you move around freely in a room? Mm-hmm. 
with your VR headset. And it's very difficult to do in most people's houses because you have stuff in rooms. It's, it's typically <laughs> a problem. Get more so, rooms, you know, kids, dogs, stuff. laundry. Well, not only that, but I think we talked once about like lo- different locomotion settings you can have with inside sure. VR. Some are smooth, some are kind of jumpy. Well, people get very sick within VR because of this the way that you're moving around, but your body isn't actually moving. It's tough for a lot of people to deal with. This could actually be the type of thing that helps solve that for a lot of people sure. is that you can physically walk on the treadmill. Yeah, absolutely. The problem with this is, is one, you know, whose wife is going to let them get, put this thing in their house. I think it looks ridiculous, but two, it is very slippery. So if you actually watch the people oh, no. that, are, that are doing this, it's, it's funny to me because you know that they are very well trained. They look incredibly athletic as they are walking on what basically is like ice in order to function as a treadmill because it isn't a treadmill in the sense that actually yeah. has a track that goes around. It's, it's omnidirectional. Weird. It is very slippery and it's just taking the inputs that your feet are giving it. To is you. that so how it, it works? Is it just an extreme low friction it surface? Is. Yes. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. So it's like yep. it's like a Teflon plate and you're walking and by walking, I mean just sliding on it. It is a that's a perfect example. In fact, you can see if you were to check the little GIF or video of it, there is actually a I don't know if a pole is the right word, but there is something that is attached to your back of a vest that you are wearing in order to make sure that you can balance appropriately. That ever so slight amount of friction is also probably highly likely to throw you out of whack in a situation like that. So if you apply a little bit of force by grabbing you right, then when you push, it just slides. That's cool. It is cool. And I will tell you this, if this becomes something that game developers adopt in mass mm-hmm. and it's, you know, under a thousand dollars or that's around the problem, then it's 2000 is what it listed as. It's 2000. Two and a half decks. So yeah. I don't know that, that I'm going to pay $2,000 for this, but if it gets down to the $1,000 range, which is still a high price nine, for like nine, actual nine, adoption, I think that I would be willing to give it a go uh, because cool. I really do think this would solve a major immersion problem yeah. uh, in the space if we can actually pull this off. So I love the idea. I just I don't I still don't know if this is ultimately going to achieve what we wanted to. A lot of people are working on this though. It's not just treadmills. Cool. We're trying to get different types of like yeah. footwear that you can put in. That's definitely not the first time I've seen stuff like that. But uh, I guess like so many things, it's just promising that they're coming out with new ones. That's great. I just want to try it. I hope one of those yeah. VR rooms, like you know, there are yeah. companies that at least existed before the pandemic, where it's like you could go to this place, use a VR headset, and kind of run around in in different spaces. I, I hope that these get adopted by those places, and then yeah. maybe over time the price comes down, people are familiar with them, and then and then they start kind of making it into homes. Because I will tell you that if if this makes it to where you can work within a sort of two foot by two foot or three foot by three foot space as opposed to more often you need about six by six feet to get the full experience in VR. Then I think that would be huge for, for VR Hmm. in general. Awesome. If you're listening and you're interested, go to the verge. Uh, they've got a link on this, but Virtuix is opening a regulation, a funding campaign. So it lets, uh, Let's see. Companies sell shares through a crowdfunding style process. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know what that is. Sorry. They're telling me what that is. Fans of the concept must invest a minimum of $1,000 and in return, they'll get a 20% discount on the consumer Omni one or a 40% discount if they invest in the first week. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was going so to- So you end up uh, paying more? So you pay $1,000 down and you get 40% off. So uh, <laughs> so you're paying like $2,200 for the $2,000 device? Is that, is that, that the math? That sounds like a great deal. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's going to work out know. for me. <laughs> oh man 
<laughs> okay, what else we got? I mean, I feel like we have to talk about this one, um, but Facebook to ban all U.S. political ads indefinitely after this election. What? So, huh. yeah, I, I I haven't dropped the link in yet, but I just caught that. It's on the verge. And um, it's uh, it's saying that their response to the concerns that people have about election meddling through uh, sure. social media, that their response is to completely ban U.S. political ads. I don't really see a problem with that. I, oh, I, I don't, don't either. either. Actually, I'm thrilled to see that. I'm just surprised. Yeah. I think it's a I think it's an age old parenting technique, right? It's like all the kids are yelling about wanting to do something and this So you burn the house down. You just you just say, Nope, it's all over, party's (laughs) over, everyone go home. I feel like that's what's happening here. You grab the the basketball and you put a knife through it. It's over. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's but that's go argue elsewhere. That's I an mean, extreme response because they have been criticized for not doing enough or not doing the right things with with a lot of the debate around that stuff right now. That's pretty succinct and to the point. I think they realize that it is an unsolvable problem if you actually allow it to be on the platform because yeah, it's just true. it's too difficult to decide you know, what stays and what goes. Is, it's such a fine line that it's who, right. who can really navigate that, and I think they just realized. The only way to win is not to play for another War Games reference, which Bueller sure. still hasn't seen. You're right. I haven't. Gosh. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I'm on vacation next week. I will watch it next week. Yes. Life has just been way too busy. I yes. won't watch it next week. But I think you're right. And I think some of this is uh, part of the reaction of that Section 230 stuff that we talked about, yeah. I think, on Monday. Absolutely. Right? So all that I just don't want to get embroiled in that. Absolutely. Okay, hard shift here. Uh, AT&T kills DSL, which I didn't oh, know I was still this. a thing. Uh, oh, come ooh, on now. My dad remember. had DSL as recently had DSL. as two months ago. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to say I had DSL in, what was it, Tyler, eighth grade? Yeah. No, before, it's been a long time did. for me too, but I knew it was <laughs> I remember, still out and about. I just remember bragging about it at school. <laughs> it was so That's dumb. awesome. I, I can remember specifically telling you in eighth grade <laughs> that it felt like the page loaded before I clicked the button. <laughs> like that was the difference. <laughs> oh man, good time. Uh, oh, you know the irony is that that was probably true, and now there's so much bloat on every web page that we're back to pre-DSL loading speeds. You know, honestly, it's it's probably a good thing because DSL, one thing that was always great about it was, was it was consistent, man. Like it was always there for you when cable wasn't. And my dad, like I said, had it recently and they, they just didn't have a lot of other really good options, which is in a very established part of the North DFW area. So it's very surprising. But the the issues he was having was, was that his six megabits per second down was unsustainable, which... I was just in disbelief of for for a DSL. And that's even whenever he was like, well, this is kind of my only other option. Should I go with it? I was like, well, you only will ever do one thing on the internet at a time. So (laughs) it's probably fine. And and I told him it will more than likely work perfectly 99% of the time. And that was a false assumption. That's interesting. When you said that, Russ, I I think there's a vast majority of people that don't understand the full extent of people like you in the way that you use the internet and multiple screens where you are seriously, I've witnessed you, uh, you're on chats, you're playing a game on another screen, you're watching a fight, (laughs) you're, uh, you're streaming some other competition. 
it's insane. Just, just you at one station. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'll have like five, six screens going and multiple of the screens are doing two or three things. Like people talk all the time, they're like, I could never saturate a 100 meg link. I'm like, I am saturating a 100 meg link when I'm not at home. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just laughable to me that you couldn't do that. I My home can, can saturate my gig link, I'm telling you right now. Like if you take all the things that my home does and it can saturate it, by the way, in both directions. Yep. So yeah, bilateral. I'm always having to look at like what people are using. It's like, well, is this going to be enough? I'm like, I don't know. Do you watch 45 things at the same time while you're also doing some intense work of your own? They're like, no. Oh, well, then you're probably fine. (laughs) Not only are you doing all that, but you're streaming the game that you're playing back out to Twitch, right? Right. Correct. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's insane. Okay, cool. (laughs) Uh, All right. I didn't want to forget this one. Just, you know, kind of a punch in the, uh, the, the brain here at the end, but new quantum computing algorithm skips past time limits imposed by decoherence. Uh, What? Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, makes exactly. sense. That's the point of it, right? Skipping past stuff. It's yeah. the same so, thing in both places until it's not new incoherent right. technology so, is incoherent. Well, here, let me let me or read this part 10? to you, right? So this is on uh, phys.org, <laughs> uh, awesome. org. Uh, so there's some news here, but quantum computers, they have a limited time to perform calculations before their useful quantum nature, which we call coherence, breaks down. So there's a new algorithm that fast forwards simulations to make those things more usable. That's, That's interesting. interesting. That is, I mean, it's pretty cool. You know, faster is typically better in computing, especially whenever we're trying to find theoretical limits and results. So I, I cool. I'm with it. I like it. Yeah, I, mean, I wonder if that coherence timeline has anything to do with why quantum computers aren't as good at solving some, uh, you know, easier algebraic equations compared to uh your standard silicon i honestly don't know i i have not kept up with the quantum computing space i find it fascinating but then it reminds me of the math that i hated and i mean two two very different you know physics approaches right um to those oh for sure no but i'm just curious if if the time limit like i know that uh quantum computing is much more useful and efficient at uh you know like higher order calculations so when sure. you start having multivariable when you start and i'm not even sure that it that things that are relatively inexact when, when you start getting into well but also just where you know the, the numbers go crazy right as opposed to large numbers or complicated calculations it's it's literally additional orders of uh you know exponential um things get crazy when you start adding exponents into those and quantum computers are better at that as my understanding than I guess the the lower order stuff, but the lower order stuff, I think we're still better at with traditional compute. I wonder if coherence has something to do with that or if it's a a different problem altogether. Yeah, no idea, but I would would imagine we need more failure scenarios. I think that's yeah. what it comes down to. And this gets gets us to those places faster. Yeah. You know, it probably Listeners, that's your homework. I'll bet I'll bet it (laughs) I'll bet it has a lot less to do with that and a lot more to do with um with just the the number of bits and what you can do with those bits so i'll bet i'll bet it's qubits you don't have enough ones and zeros in a quantum computer to do something that we just need more ones and zeros for 
qubits. Yeah, the right qubits. Well, qubits in quantum, but you know, you're flipping bits. In a yeah. Traditional well, and that's the other thing in that in that article. It said the the one catch here is that it uses uses twice as many qubits to perform the function as well. So oh, okay, we need to shut this down. Do. Okay, but before we shut it down, I do want to make oh, no. mention of two things real okay. quick. Um, so the more Nobel prizes, uh, I, I, it's kind of cool that it falls in a science week or space week, whatever it was, but, uh, the uh, Nobel prize for physics was, uh, announced to a team that basically helped define the math that sort of proves the existence of black holes. Um, it's kind of an interesting read bbc.com there, and it walks through, uh, not, not in great detail, but what the, the three recipients sort of did to just show in the natural world how a star could decompose into a black hole as an example. So I thought that was really cool. And then um, this one is even more cool because we've talked about it before and I would still love to have somebody come on and really dive into it. So if any listeners, new listeners, old listeners, it doesn't matter. The Nobel Prize in um, chemistry was awarded to um, a, uh, a two-person two team, uh, both females, Emmanuel Charpentier and Jennifer Dudna, and I'm sure I murdered both of those names. So apologies. Uh, it sounds like you got but, them right. But for CRISPR-Cas9, so the the genetic editing, so gene editing tools, which I'm yeah. CRISPR has been talked about extensively, you know, in scientific journals and stuff like that. What what it will open in genetic research and you know potential even life saving sort of research is absolutely off the charts. So I, I think very very well deserved. But I, I also think they're a, fairly young as recipients go, and B, CRISPR, maybe a decade, has been around for, for about a decade. So this is actually a pretty rapid um, uh, reward or recipient. Uh, the recipients got it fairly quickly from discovery, which, uh, again, well-deserved, but fascinating reads. You should look into them. I think there was also <clears throat> – I read about this yesterday when I had first heard about this news – and I'm going to butcher it, but I just want to mention it just in general for, for everyone. I do believe that there was a milestone hit for women in, in this particular awarding hmm. of, of the Nobel Prize. That's cool. Yeah. yeah there it was there are not very many. They had been involved in at least the physics-related aspects. So. Uh, oh, yeah. No, physics. Uh, so and, and I didn't name those names, but it's uh, Roger Penrose, Reinhard Genzel, and Andrea Getz. And Andrea Getz is only the fourth woman to win a physics yep. Nobel Prize out of more than 200 laureates since 1901. Thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, so that's awesome. Congrats, congrats to all of them, her, her especially. And thank you Great for your contributions. Very cool. Awesome. Andrea wrote a book called You Can Be a Woman Astronomer. And then she killed it. And she did it. She did it. <laughs> that. And on that note, that brings Wait, another text breakfast podcast to a close i hope everyone enjoyed it as much as we did i have got to go and hang out with my family i'm getting dirty looks from my wife russ aaron always a pleasure everyone listening i hope that you got something out of this if we missed anything let us know if you want to come join us on the show hit us up if you've got something cool you want to talk about please come join us and we will talk to you on friday later yeah buddy